house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Maybe we can find you another. Okay. I have a strange feeling that those two people over there are watching us. I think you're right. Really? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that hallucinates about a super mean Anna Kendrick instead of dealing with our emotional pain. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, entertainment writer Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello. It's me. How are or you? maybe it's me. It's some weird assumed identity type of thing that this... I didn't understand what was happening at the last First of all, of movie. you're speaking way too energetically to be in any way referencing the movie <laughs> that we're talking about this week, just so you know. Um, this. Fair. Yeah, this is a very special week here at this head Oscar buzz, and not just because we're going to be talking about a three-time Golden Globe nominee and possibly the most notorious Golden Globe nominee of this century, with apologies to Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, I should say. I should put that out there. That is the second most notorious Golden Globe nominee of the century. Um, and it's also not because we finally get to crack the nut that is Johnny Depp's long and persistent history of Oscar buzziness. It's because this week we are welcoming a very special guest. She is the deputy editor at VanityFair.com, co-host of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast, which if you weren't already to subscribe to that one long before you ever heard of this podcast, truly, what have you been doing with your lives? She is a true friend of the podcast and a stickler for the IMDb game rules, which is maybe my favorite thing about her. It is Katie Rich. Yay! Yay! Hi! Welcome. I... I, I am. This is truly like stepping inside my own headphones. Every time I listen to this show, I I have conversations with the two of you in my head. Sometimes I text Joe about them, and now I get to be here and say the dumb things that other two people will be driven crazy will be driven crazy by. As I they love it. To it. Yep, I love it. I'm very excited. Very exciting. Oh, I should also before I let this go any further, I should also say that I'm also on the Fighting in the War Room podcast, which is on the same network as this at Oscar Buzz. Uh, I would be doing my co-hosts a disservice if I didn't mention that too. We are keeping it in the family for sure. <laughs> Katie, my thanks, Dave. I'm just going to start this off with a question: Did you pick The Tourist as your movie because you got the you won my spelling bee with Florian Henkel von Donnersmark? <laughs> Florian Henkel von Donnersmark. Wow. I was very proud of myself because I so I took German in high school, so I have like some knack for. German names that I might not otherwise. Uh, I, I do have affection for Florent Hinkle von Donnersmark from that. And also this was kind of the, like I was working at Cinema Blend at this time. I like, was getting very deep into Oscars, not for the first time, but I was like writing about it. And I was in the New York Film Critics online critics group. So I had screeners, like it was kind of a very deep, early deep period of Oscar attention for me. And uh, so the tourist has a really soft spot in my heart for that. I have a question. Did the spelling bee rules also include hyphens where spaces occur? 
Ooh, who are you thinking I'm of? I'm thinking of Florian Hinkle von Donnersmark because... Oh. I, like you would think von Donnersmark might be one word. Or a hyphenate, you know... I feel like I was pretty lenient with that stuff. I don't think I ever required. I'm trying to think of like a name that would have come up with an apostrophe in it. Let me know. Anybody who's Lupita listening to this. Lupita Nyong'o. That would be a good one. I think I did maybe require the apostrophe for that. Although I think Lupita Nyong'o I used as one of the written uh, written round yeah, questions. Yeah. Which then. So we got to do Lupita's that Because Lupita's pretty phonetic when you, when you spell it without the apostrophe. It's not that hard. Yeah, the right. apostrophe can get it's, you. It's the apostrophe that gets you. Well, also, that was, that's the interesting thing about Florian Henkel von Donnersmark is it's a very long name that if you just sort of take your time with it and remember that, like, CKs are very important. And it's all about the two CKs. It's all about the two CKs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When all else fails, add another consonant. So I held that's just German. A, I held a spelling bee three times. Uh, Griffin Griffin Newman, co-host of Blank Check, and I together we hosted three uh, spelling bees. Katie was only present for two of them because for the third one she was like having a baby during the spelling bee. It was like <laughs> something like that. It was very much that close to being on the dot of, of your due date at the very least. I think so. And then you won the other two. It was, and I then did. you moved away. And then it was just like, well, I've retired. <laughs> I've done what I need to do in New York City. I think if you have another one, I probably have to come back, though. What was the other name that you won on? I think Barkhad Abdi. Yes. That was at least like a big, a big one at the very end. But that was one of them I got out on an early round and then came back in as a write in. I got out on Gabby Hoffman because yes. that's a tricky uh, one in versus double two end situation. Single B, I had that part. It was the one versus two ends I couldn't do. Yeah, that is a tricky one. Yeah, that's right. You, you I'm so glad we're doing in. a whole podcast about your spelling B, Joe. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> this B had uh, this had Oscar <laughs> B. I don't know. Yes. Uh. <laughs> so no, we are talking about the tourist this week, directed by the aforementioned Florian Henkel von Donner's Mark. Uh, the writing credits on this thing are interesting. It's Florian Henkel von Donnersmark and Christopher McQuarrie and Julian Fellows. I'm pretty sure that none of those three writers wrote it in tandem with any of the other ones. I think it was one draft that got rewritten by the other. Then finally, I think, got rewritten by Florian Henkel von Donnersmark because there's the whole story about how like this actual production all went down in 11 months from him rewriting whatever version of the script he had gotten to full production because it had to be finished before Johnny Depp went and filmed whatever the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie was. So it was this very kind of fly-by-night movie and it all went very quickly. Based on Having been in development for like years and years and years, right. which is the funny yeah. part. Right, like everyone was attached to it before they just made it. Yeah, because there was this 20, 2005 French movie called Anthony Zimmer. It was directed by uh, Jerome Salle, I believe is the director's name. And that was then turned into whatever became The Tourist, starring, obviously, Angelina Jolie, Johnny Depp, Paul Bettany's in this movie, Timothy Dalton's in this movie, Rufus Sewell shows up in one of the most... I read the Ebert review, and it was so very Ebert, where Ebert's just sort of like, yeah, he has nothing to do in the story until he becomes, like, important for the story. Like, it's yeah. very much his, uh, his bugaboo about that. Premiered December 10th, 2010. So, Katie, one of the things we do on this Head Oscar Buzz is Chris or I usually takes a crack at describing the plot of the movie in 60 seconds just to sort of set the table, get all, get all the plot stuff out of the way so we can talk about it. Are you 
Do you think you could pull off the plot of The Tourist in 60 seconds? I really should have thought through my choice of a film better if I realized <laughs> I was going to have to do doing this. I think you can Although, do it. There's a lot of like throwing up your hands with the plot of The Tourist, so for I feel real. like I can get away with that. I also really want to note that the Wikipedia page for The Tourist says at the top of this article's plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a lot of information out there. Okay. I All right. I'm just going to say confidence. Julia Fast. I, I have confidence in Katie's abilities. We have already he sh- talked about what a champion she is with Spelling Bee. Yeah. She is about to be a champion oh, of 60-second plot. plot description. Also, just to Woo. like lower your expectations, too, I fully got through Summersby and didn't even get to the part where he got accused of murder. So, like, <laughs> it's fine if you don't get through the whole thing. I, nobody's going to arrest you. So, if you are ready, I will start our little timer. Okay. And go. Okay, so we open on Angelina Jolie, who is playing this mysterious woman named Elise Clifton Ward. She's being followed by a bunch of detectives, uh, including Paul Bettany. We, they're following her through the streets of Paris. She gets a mysterious note from a mysterious man. Turns out she is the wife, I think, of a thief named Alexander Pierce, who has thrown, who has stolen a bunch of money from some Russian gangsters and then therefore also owes taxes, which is how that works, I guess. Uh, the note was from him. It told her to pick a random stranger on a train who looks kind of like him to lead the authorities astray from him, even though they don't seconds. seem to know where he is uh that person's johnny depp she takes him with her to venice he stays in her hotel room they don't really have a romantic thing but we're supposed to believe in their undeniable chemistry she tries to ditch him he keeps following her she gets invited to a ball where he shows up oh there's a boat chase before that then he's at the ball and then uh he gets taken by the cops she gets taken by the gangsters who are after him they think johnny depp is actually the guy they wind him in this house turns out johnny depp is actually the guy and then uh it turns out okay because he gives the police a check for all the money that he owes them somehow with one wow. second to spare. That's <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, well done. I feel like I almost missed the boat chase, which is the, uh, <laughs> the, I mean, maybe this movie's claim to fame. I, I was going to say the lone action sequence in this movie. <laughs> Where she gets to haul a boat with a boat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was cool. Dream come true. Yeah. I did notice at the beginning when they arrive in Venice and they show up to their hotel on a, on a little boat. And then, like, there's a gondola sort of next to it. And I was just sort of like, the gondola, I guess, is, like, more romantic. But, like, there's no way I would ever get on one of those things because I'm going in the drink if I just step on one of those. Like, the the boats are the way to go in Venice, I would imagine. Like, that's their version of cars, right? Where, like, the other things seem like the Venice version of, like, pedicabs or something like that. I don't know. Venice is weird. (laughs) That's my thing on Venice. That's my type five on Venice, apparently. (laughs) <laughs> while still Go there while, while it's still, still above the water that's my goal above the water yeah yeah bomb us all out katie jesus yeah. um, <laughs> so i think to get into why the tourist had oscar buzz in the first place going into 2010 because it's a december release which i think is sort of one of those things that feels like an indication to us but i also think the talent involved to me is why we would have even thought that this it's also like a throwback kind of a story, kind of a vibe. I know there were a couple reviews mentioned like Cary Grant and, you know, Eva Marie Saint and stuff like that. So it was obviously going for something old school. Yes. Yeah. Like I love the movie Charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, like made when Cary Grant was kind of too old for it, but it works anyway. And you would like, you can definitely see them being like, yes, we're making exactly that movie again, which they're not. But then it has a million different screenwriters on this movie, making it far more convoluted than like the satisfying, simple double turns of a movie like Charade. And the, yes, like 
the Herculean feat of you reducing all of that plot into 60 seconds is kind of amazing, um, considering that this movie is such a mess. I, I forgot to mention that she's also a double agent. Yes. Oh, right. She's, yeah. she's working for Scotland Yard with Paul Bettany. I totally forgot that part. There are so, so many yes, twists no in this movie it. that don't come across as twists because you have so much time to think about it because particularly the two leads of this movie play their roles with such casual listlessness that like (laughs) there's just no energy in any one of them like it's very much if you imagine the sort of and angelina jolie doesn't do this in all her parts she you know manages to give a decent variety of performances in her movies i'm thinking like the uh, a mighty heart i almost said the mighty a mighty heart is not the same as salt is not the same as girl interrupted right but like this is playing by heart (laughs) right dancing about architecture yeah um this is very much i feel like the middle of the road milk toast angelina jolie performance where she sort of has a vague accent like it's not a vague accent but it's this very sort of like mild posh accent she's always sort of looking somewhere off into the distance and and giving her lines in this sort of casual tossed off way that feels elegant and sexy and yet also very nonspecific. And ultimately, I don't know, I couldn't get wrapped up in their story because neither one of them seemed all that invested in it. And I think there is a reason for that because at least in the first, maybe third of the movie when they don't really interact or it's like easier to chop it up. It's like these, they, keeps cutting back and forth between the two of them and you see these what are definitely shitty stand-ins for them with wigs that like i don't think they were (laughs) i don't think they filmed half of this movie together at all like oh you made me want to watch it again um especially the whole train sequence when they're introduced to each other and it's supposed to establish like their chemistry and there isn't any yeah, it's weird to see two so incredibly famous people who you're like, yeah, okay, we could see them together. Like, part of their appeal as movie stars is that they have chemistry with people. I think that's like yeah. what a movie star is. And they yeah. just like seem like part of it is their roles where she's playing this like generic, mysterious woman. And he's like, I think I like what he's doing a little bit more because there's a little bit of comedy to it. Like, there's an energy from that. But yeah, their their characters are such nonsense and then you put them together and they don't seem like they're existing in the same frame which i guess chris maybe they weren't which i really want to go back and watch i would guarantee it like i i was struck by it immediately and i guess i was kind of watching for it for the rest of the movie to the point where i was like they're not in a frame together unless they kiss dance or touch (laughs) yeah maybe they hated each other that was what I was thinking. I was like, is this an ego battle type thing? Though, if you look at, I mean, the gospel that is the IMDb trivia pages, it that the IMDb trivia page for this movie is like the war and peace of like delusional cinematic history because it talk there's like these whole paragraphs talking with these quotes from the filmmakers about how they had this amazing chemistry together and they're such huge stars like um let me read this Julian Fellows quote. Having either Angelina Jolie or Johnny Depp in this film would have been extraordinary, but the pair together is that perfect combination you dream about, but rarely, if ever, happens. Um, it doesn't happen in The Tourist either because they are not <laughs> in the same room. Yeah. The production history of this movie is very interesting because there's a lot of movies we almost got, right? Where we almost got the 
Lassa Hallstrom directed Charlize Theron starring movie, which feels conflicty in a few ways. Like I know like Charlize Theron has been in a Lassa Hallstrom movie before, at least one. And she's um, played spies before. Right. And yet I don't find either one of them a good fit for this movie. I think Lassa Hallstrom's movies tend to be a little more sort of sweet and like like they exist in a little hamlet somewhere or whatever, right? Yeah. And I can't see him sort of just like jet-setting around the canals and boat chases and whatnot. Unless and... it was a period piece, because even like Chocola in, in its way is a period piece, but yeah. I, I don't see him doing something contemporary and sexy. And spies and, and Scotland Yard and this whole thing, and it's just like, or Interpol or whatever the hell, and it's just like, nah, no. I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, sexiness is a challenge for this movie as it is, and I yes. think Lassa Hallstrom would have made an even bigger challenge. Very true. And then there was the Tom Cruise version of the movie, which is, as I assume, that's how we got the Christopher McQuarrie writing credit on this movie, is right. when yeah. Cruise got brought in, he brought in McQuarrie. And then Cruise left and was replaced by... Sam Worthington, and at some point during all of this, Alfonso Cuaron was supposed to direct it. So that is that is so insane, isn't it? To though, realize. Yeah. yeah. So I guess he made Gravity instead. Gravity would have been what three years after this. This was during his maybe big, long time in between projects, right? Because he didn't do yeah. anything. Well, gravity in took a long time. Right. Yeah, so he probably was like, I'll get two other movie stars and put them in space. Yeah, and that was probably around the time that Gravity was like going from Natalie Portman to Sandra Bullock, right? Because that was originally Natalie That's true, Portman yeah. in that movie. It's always something interesting. Didn't Gravity also have like a whole laundry list of potential stars before yes. they landed Angelina where they were? Jolie was one of them. Right. God, all of these okay. like what might have been. The journey from Tom Cruise to Sam Worthington to Johnny Depp. <laughs> yes. Wow. What movie are you making? Yeah. Exactly. Well, what movie are you making? Who is this character? Because the character as it is in the final film is miscast for all three of those actors. But it, it you can, see, I mean, maybe that's where some of the crazy comes in too. With yeah. like these people, like Katie said, these people are nonsense. Where every different version of the script changed who this character was or what he was supposed to be and what was supposed to be funny about him. To the point that we get this, like, insane, like, he is a school teacher who, like, makes dumb jokes. He vapes. Um, oh, does he ever vape? He was really he at the forefront so of vaping. so much time talking about vape. I know, yeah. I thought about that, too. 2010, man, I, yeah. I have a really hard time believing he was named Frank Tupelo until Johnny Depp got involved. That seems so much like, like, Johnny Depp's like rock star alter ego or something. It, it doesn't fit a Tom Cruise character at all. Yeah. I want to talk about Florian Henkel von Donnersmark for a second, though, because he's the guy who ultimately, obviously, directs the movie. Um, do we know? Does Are you guys aware of the full, his full name? It's even longer. Oh, than, so you go to Wikipedia. <gasps> oh, yeah. Florian Maria <laughs> Georg Christian Graf Henkel von Donnersmark, which. Christian von Donnersmark. Christian. <laughs> Christian, thank you, uh, Julie Richardson. Um, <laughs> These episodes don't exist if we don't mention Nip Tuck. Oh, it's just very true. So German aristocracy, to me, is so fascinating and fantastic because you cannot read even like a two-second bio of somebody like this without it sounding like 
your Lori Metcalf in that scene in JFK where she's describing like Lee Harvey Oswald going to Russia and learning all of this, like whatever, and becoming a supposed CIA spy where it's just like he studied Russian literature in Leningrad for two years and passed the Soviet state exam for teachers of Russian and foreign language. And he holds a master's of arts degree uh, from the new college at Oxford and he can speak six languages and he went to, Oh my God, this is the other thing that I looked up. The high school he went to is called, wait, I'm going to totally fuck this up. It's Evangelishka's Gymnasium Zoom Grauen Kloster, which all I will say about that place is like Otto von Bismarck went there. So like paint a picture, right? Like it's yeah, paint a picture. It's just like German aristocracy is weird, you guys. I don't know. So it makes me think of Florian Henkel von Donnersmark very, very um differently and certainly in the in the sense of this movie also the fact that he directed the lives of others which upset pan's labyrinth for best foreign language film at the 2006 oscars right how much must salma hayek hate florian henkel von donner's mark <laughs> i think she honestly despises him and that's interesting to me from denmark chris you're gonna say others. something though. Florian Henkel von Donnersmark, also in this year's Oscar race for uh, Never Look Away, um, potentially returning to the Oscar stage. Um, Lives of Others is kind of a hard pivot into The Tourist, right? Like, these are two very, very different movies, like, that only comes from... I mean, it's different because you're talking about a foreign language film, but it's like you get your oscar and then you get to make this lavish studio movie right 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 um i don't understand just from these two movies what florian henkel von donnersmark is interested in as a filmmaker because i don't i am not someone who likes the life of others have you guys i've not seen it I will it, say. Oh, God, I was going to be so ashamed to admit I hadn't seen it. Thank you, Joe. Oh, okay. I, saw, I also haven't seen it. It's, I mean, I know what it's about, so I thought it was kind of funny that this opened with people, like, audio surveilling other people. I was like, hmm, right. that's what The Lives of Others is about, I think. That was a few years before I started seeing, like, everything. So I, that's definitely a blind spot for me, for sure. It's a blind spot in that it's one, but I would not recommend the movie necessarily, just for, like, the kind of emotional, like, strings it pulls um but yeah i don't it's also like i hate to use an empty word like gritty but it's like it's kind of almost christopher nolan-esque and like very dry and this tries to be like a farcical like euro like escapism movie that has a lot of convoluted like spy stuff in it but like nobody's really watching it for the spy stuff so i don't know how this movie falls on his lap without that oscar win i guess is all i was going to say i have a hard time pinning this movie on florian hinkelbaum's honors mark like so much of the messiness feels like i mean maybe the script going through all these phases like we talked about but also the studio being like oh god this movie is doesn't make any sense or it's too grim or like we need to throw it in there because there's so many just jumps around like maybe the rufus sewell character who we'll talk about that i don't, I don't want to blame him too much for how little sense this movie makes i mean that's probably fair i mean it, yeah 
with all of the but you're but you're but you're right that it's like a weird job to get off of that oscar win because the movies are so different and like they're going for different things but it doesn't feel like it's from the same filmmaker though i do think yes you have a point that it's probably not all his fault and like you wonder how much was taken over from him in this movie were there any emails about this in the Sony leak? I always thought I that. was literally just Googling <laughs> Sony hack the tour. Yeah. To figure because out you have to imagine this would have been one that like a lot of the big wigs would have been emailing back and forth about because of the star power involved at the top. That's very interesting. The other thing I sort of wanted yeah. to talk about, we can put a pin in the Sony leaks and if any of us find some stuff, we can bring it up. Johnny Depp, by this point in his career, he is now three years removed from his last Oscar nomination, which was for Sweeney Todd in 2007. And I think at this point, this because this was also the same year as Alice in Wonderland, and I feel like very, very strongly that Alice in Wonderland was the point where everybody was like, all right, enough of this shit with Johnny Depp. We're just like, no more. We are, anybody who was not already off the train I think got off the train at that point. We're like very, very frustrated with Johnny Depp. But it's interesting to think about his career in terms of Oscar because he was for a long time, the sort of like the guy who was worthy, who was Oscar worthy, but he was either in projects that were too weird. Like I feel like Edward Scissorhands was a big one. We're like, he's so good in that movie. That movie is so sweet and yet like was never going to be a thing that the Oscars would go for. But you could always say like, Oh my God, if only the Oscars were more interesting, they would have nominated Johnny Depp for Edward Scissorhands. And then he goes through this stage where it's like, he's the lead in Gilbert Grape. DiCaprio gets nominated for supporting. He's the lead in Ed Wood. Martin Landau wins for best supporting actor. And Donnie Brasco happens and it's like really well received and gets got a screenplay nomination, right? I'm not crazy about that. Johnny Brasco, uh, I'm looking it up. I'm pretty sure. It was nominated for one Oscar. Yeah, yeah. best screenplay. Well done. So An again, I think Underrated Anne Heche performance. Very much so. That was the same year that she did Wag the Dog also, and she's great in Wag the Dog. Um, and I also think that was the same year as Volcano. That was the big Anne Heche year, remember, where like all of this shit happens... And then she and Ellen start dating. <laughs> but then he sort of went through this, like, he made The Astronaut's Wife. He played, he made The Ninth Gate. He made the, the, the Man Who Cried. And... Star of Best Picture nominee, Chocolat. Right. That's, that's the thing. So he's always sort of just, like, still on these sort of outskirts when he's not making, like, From Hell. You know what I mean? Like, From Hell, The Ninth Gate, Astronaut's Wife, I always think of as these sort of, like misbegotten star vehicles whatever and then Pirates of the Caribbean happens and it all changes at the like on a dime for him right where he becomes not the like outsider who Hollywood is trying to uh make happen to he's the guy who has happened and is going to keep happening where it's like do you know what I mean yes oh yeah absolutely like I know we've been through a lot since uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp and that franchise, but that Oscar nomination remains like one of the great ones, right? The fact that they like saw this totemic performance for what it was, got over the comedy thing and like included it at exactly the right moment. You have to imagine too that he, even though that was a very competitive best actor year, that he was reasonably close. Well, didn't he win the SAG, right? He won SAG. Right. That's, yeah. Because that was also a year where Murray and Bill Murray and Sean Penn 
were really splitting that vote. Like that was, I'm pretty sure that's probably why Johnny Depp was able to win the SAG. And also the fact that SAG is a huge membership full of people who, you know, are not just like movies to make money. Right. Yeah. That's, it's always the much more uh, democratic, you know, awards body. I I feel like I remember as that Oscar ceremony was coming up, like the narrative being, well, what if Johnny Depp pulls an Adrian Brody? Oh, right. Because yeah, Adrian done it Brody before. would have been like, yeah, yeah that would have been like here before. Yeah. Just yeah. that that stat alone, like, yeah, convinced people that Johnny Depp could be winning just because of the Adrian Brody of it all. Yeah. That was Joe, because I know that you like doing this revisionist history. If Johnny Depp had won instead, would we be better off? The Oscar. I don't know how much changes because I think Sean Penn ultimately did win again for Milk. So I don't think that would have changed. I don't jump in just would have won more easily for milk. Yes. I think that's that's what it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we don't get spared like more pirate sequels, but maybe we get, you know, we don't get black mass or because he wouldn't, he wouldn't be gunning for Oscar for in things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Except I don't know what Johnny Depp, I don't know what he wants. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Another <laughs> island? Yeah. Like, I genuinely don't understand what is motivating his career at this time. Like, what? Like he still would have taken Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, actually, I really, I do enjoy him in that movie. That's maybe the last thing of his that I really, really liked him yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you it really goes terribly downhill from there so oh much God. of that movie and his performance especially because he is a movie star who doesn't sing even though they try to be like he's in a rock band no yeah um, no <laughs> so much of the, our perception at the time of that movie was about just his singing um right and like in that it's just Sondheim, it's operatic Sondheim, and he's yeah. like a little weak. Um, I think not having that much of a familiarity with any kind of original cast recordings really helped me out. This is sort of my thing with Rent too, where I don't hate the Rent movie as much as a lot of people do because I wasn't super familiar with the Broadway version of Rent beyond like knowing what it was. And I think that's what it was yeah, like. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't Todd know Sweeney too. Todd well when I saw that movie either, and I, I was in the same boat, Joe. Yeah, I even appreciate what Helena Bonham Carter is doing, even though I know that that ain't singing, Sally. Like that is just <laughs> that's something else. But doesn't it give like like for me, someone who like would love to start a musical despite no obvious vocal talent? Like it just gives me hope. Like maybe someone will put me in a musical when <laughs> Listen, I can't sing. I've done Broadway karaoke before. I'll do it again. And you and I are doing the worst pies in London, and we're just gonna do it. <laughs> Um, You're gonna have to deal with it, <laughs> but yeah. So I, I, there's something about this point, the 2010, the tourist version of Johnny Depp, where like he hadn't yet done, like he, things would get worse. Like I think, yeah. To me, the Lone Ranger is worse. Transcendence is worse. Into the Woods is worse. Mordecai is certainly worse. But mm-hmm. the tourist is not a high point on his filmography. I don't think anybody's really looking back and like, Oh, remember when he played Frank Tupelo, the Wisconsin math professor? Like, no. And it also feels the most like movie star 
myopia of a lot of these where it's like you want to see me and Angelina Jolie romp through Europe like both of them having the sense of like we don't have to do anything on screen and you'll come to our movie and nominate us for a Golden Globe and like in some ways they were right and it does it seems like such hubris for both of them well you think about Mr. and Mrs. Smith which I always tend to think about for a movie that like was never as successful or popular as sometimes we think it is looking back just because it was so monumental of a movie news wise. You know what I mean? Because it was so like so many things happened around it. I really like that movie. And I think that's a movie that at least knows that like, you can't just put two movie stars in a movie and just have them like be there, wait for you to appreciate them. Even if they literally fall in love in the process of making it. But they work in that movie. Like they, and that movie works to give you so many things with, these two A-list actors, they're, you know, they're car chases. There's giant, you know, brawls throughout their apartment. There is a proper sexy slash dangerous tango dance that, like, happens. Like, you have to follow through. If you're going to put them in a ballroom, you need to have something, some kind of tension or excitement to any kind of dancing that's happening. And this was just sort of just like... They were just there. Ugh. I don't know. It was very frustrating. Even knowing yeah. I wasn't going to like this movie, I still wound up frustrated by it. Yeah, because you like see all the money they spent in these gorgeous European locations and on these clothes and like how kind of impressed with itself it is for all of those things at certain moments. And then yeah. you're like, wait, why? Why did you just stop there? Like, why not make a movie out of that? <laughs> Well, and, like, we also kind of want to like this kind of movie. Like, we want to watch incredibly famous people fall in love in the European, like, metropolitan. You know, like, we want to have fun in boat chases in Venice. I I think this movie needed to either spend a lot more time getting to Venice and letting them sort of fall in love, or at least, like you know, have that sort of flirty back and forth with each other and have it be, it doesn't have to be before sunrise, but it can be like a little talky, right? Where they, you can see this spark between them or it had to have a lot more action once they get to Venice. Like one, if not both That would have required them, that would have required them being in the same place, which (laughs) is Christmas. Right, as we've already established, (laughs) that couldn't happen. Yeah. John Seal is a great cinematographer, but not that great of a cinematographer that he could produce one and not the other. Yeah. I will say, I think all internal logic of this movie aside, if there's one thing that does make it fail is Johnny Depp. And like you're saying, this isn't his largest like failure. We don't remember it. This as his largest failure, but like he's the ingredient in the movie that is actively not working. Like, I think he's. Oh, mis- I would. Dis- I would disagree. I want to hear oh, you say it, but I feel like I'm not with you. Okay, this is interesting because this reflects the reviews. If you go through the reviews, no two reviews could agree on what was working versus what was not working. But it, I want to hear this play out. I mean, like I think Angelina Jolie is doing a performance that we've seen her do a lot of, but like I don't necessarily think that she's asleep at the wheel the way that he is, and I don't think he's very funny. I think it's just like his idea of what a dope is, but he's not really into it. Like when he's vaping, I think he just thought he was on break and like just pulled out his vape. <laughs> oh, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent, including the part funny. where he explains to her what vaping is. That was the craziest part of this whole movie. <laughs> Not just that he's vaping, but he, like, explains the concept and process <laughs> of vaping. 
And you really expect it to be a plot. I mean, I guess yes. it sort of comes back in as kind of like a usual suspects reveal near the end. Right. I think. I right. think that's what they meant to. We're just like, he was a smoker and it, or whatever. Oh, it was his teeth. Or right? he, he, he like smokes a real cigarette later on. You're like, what? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then he stops limping. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He drops a coffee mug. I don't know. I just think that aside from him not being ripe for this role, I don't think he is <laughs> actively trying at any point in the movie. He's just so snoozy, and I don't know. Like, he, for me, he's the reason why there's no sparks in the relationship. Like, Angelina Jolie at least has good reaction shots to his stand-in. <laughs> I can't, I can't argue with you on him being lazy, but I, I feel like his comic energy is at least an energy, and what she's doing is so like beautiful, glamorous, inaccessible, like fancy European lady that she's kind of like this reflective glass surface. And he, like, you know, when he's getting chased by the gangsters out of the hotel room and is like running across the rooftops barefoot, like there's, you know, it's very Jack Sparrow. It's like him practicing to go run on pirate right. ship planks. But at least, at least there's something to it. That's and why he, he did makes, this movie to to train. Yeah, it's like just just for cardio. Yeah. Um, it makes the twist make no sense at all, which we can get into that at the end. Right. Um, but I, I, you know, I if it had been more of a movie about this like truly hapless tourist caught up in this and like had the script back that up some, I feel like I would have liked that energy more between them of like this cool and collected fancy woman and this guy who like you know maybe not played by Johnny Depp but like who really isn't over his head. Yeah, I sort of, I agree with the both of you, and I think that they're both bad. <laughs> Maybe that's where I... <laughs> that's probably the fairest split answer. the difference. Was this one of the last sort of acting roles she had before? Like, I know she was in Maleficent, but this was after Salt, right? It's the same year as Salt. Yeah, so, so it came out like five months after Salt. Right. And then, so she has Maleficent, but I this like is Salt. really like the end. This is where her acting career is about to give way to the directing career, right? Where... Because By the Sea happens a few years after this, but I don't think she has a lot of acting roles in between that. It's just Maleficent and then like... No, it's it's Kung Fu Panda and Maleficent. Right. Well, this is the year before her directing debut in The Land of Blood and Honey, which is 2011. Then you have Unbroken in 2014, By the Sea 2015, First They Saw My Father 2017. So, yeah, I mean, I guess... What, how, what do we think about that in terms of, and I guess we don't have to have it be either or, but we really do seem to have lost movie star Angelina Jolie to director Angelina Jolie. Is that a trade-off we're happy with or not? <sighs> I really go back and forth on her. Chris, you have no, coherent thoughts. I, I, I feel like that death happened well before this. It's like you had either action movie Angelina Jolie or as Katie describes a fancy European woman like those are the only two (laughs) modes and like I don't think she's really done much outside of those roles in quite some time and it's like now I guess we're just getting um Maleficent and that's it Though, I mean, she I mean, she directed herself in By the Sea, too, so we shouldn't forget that she did something a little different. But then again, she's still just kind of a fancy, sad European woman. Yes. I'm almost dying to see that movie again. I don't think I got very much out of it the first time, but I wonder if I would find it a little fascinating now. Knowing that their marriage was falling apart well, as they were making it? That, and also just, I feel like that is a movie that takes this kind of listless, you know... Uh, fancy movie lady thing right to its 
utmost like I, it's it's part yeah. of the story there, right? Where like that's part of the reason why they're kind of frustrated with each other is she's just so sad. Like I don't know, and <laughs> I I would almost I would almost want to see it again to see if there was some intention behind that that there was a little bit of knowingness behind that. I don't know, Katie. What do you think? I mean, I, I'm intrigued by that. I also, by the siege of me, mostly crazy. I really liked her as Maleficent. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. But I'm there looking was kind forward of a to the second to one. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, really I, funny I in it. Yeah. I don't know if the movie was really good, but yeah, she's funny and she kind of like leans into that villainous thing Yeah. Uh, that I think she's really good at. So, I mean, maybe, oh, I don't want this for her, but like if it's her version of Jack Sparrow where she gets to kind of like camp it up a little bit and shine more, like that could be a good direction for her. But I think she's maybe more interesting as a movie star than as an actor. Like she is so beautiful and so interesting and her life story is so interesting, but like on screen, it always feels hard to get anything remotely as compelling as, as all of her extracurricular stuff. I think that's why changeling to me was so frustrating is that's that's a movie that keeps fighting against her star power because it's just, Mm -hmm. she's, it wants to make her just this, you know, this mother and, and, wouldn't any mother be so freaked out by what's happening to this woman? And it, and ultimately Angelina Jolie is like, but I'm a star, but I'm a movie star. And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's any kind of like vanity thing. I think there's just like, there's too much charisma in there. That's just sort of like bursting through her sad little hats at all times in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember those hats being huge. Like they just like cover half her face. Yeah, there was I I they were there were very it was a very hat focused movie as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I don't know. I also didn't like that the tourist wasted, in my opinion, Paul Bettany. Like we don't get enough well, Paul Bettany isn't as Isn't that it a is. common theme? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Except for uh except for uh, uh what's the last Avengers movie that came out where he's like in it as a it's like standing on an actual set. Oh, in uh, in Infinity War One. Yeah. Infinity of War, course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got to see his beautiful face. Yeah. Yeah. It also fully wastes Timothy Dalton, which if Hot Fuzz taught us anything, like giving Timothy Dalton the permission to camp it up is the best thing anybody can do for him. So good. <laughs> and like, he's so entertaining in that movie. And he's like the chief inspector of Interpol. Like you don't think you could have given him like something to chew on in this. I don't know. Or maybe make him and Paul Bettany the same character. I could right. really track right. who yeah. the different like agents Agreed. were and their hierarchies. Agreed. Yeah, do we want to get into the plot of this? Cause like I, I obviously did the 60 second plot thing, but there are so many things like I truly don't get what Rufus Sewell is in this movie. Like what we're supposed to believe he's doing. He's like a MacGuffin of a person. His character in the list in the IMDb is called the Englishman. Like he just and he's just like there. It just like cuts to him from time to time, and you're like, oh, he's he's there there. to be deployed in the final five minutes of like, oh, like they had. It's yes. Oh, should we talk about should we talk about the twist then and like what how plausible that is? Sure. Well, to me, okay. So when at the beginning, Angelina Jolie gets this note that says, "Go on a train." It's a train, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The train to to Venice and find somebody who is my my build and my height and make them make the the investigators who are following you believe that it's me. And so as soon as she starts talking to the Depp character and they're because she's being very coy and he is sort of trying to keep up with her. But knowing that there's this thing sort of being dangled out in front of the audience of like. 
is this her husband or is this somebody she's just found on the train? And I'm like, well, of course it's her actual husband because this is not the kind of movie that's going to leave us with, you know, a, a minor key sort of finish. Like, obviously he's going to end up being her husband after all. And my only question was whether she knew it from the beginning or not. And then at some point in the middle of the movie, you realize that she couldn't have known it. So that's fine. But to me, it was like, it was very easy to figure this movie out. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't figure that out. I didn't didn't really think about it. (laughs) I can't figure out who people are in this movie, let alone what's happening. So no, I did not figure that out. I couldn't figure out why it seemed like a good diversion tactic. Like, what would be the point of her making the investigators think he's someone else? Like, it's not like he's just, like, just evaded their grasp. As far as we know, they have no idea where he is. It does seem like they he was drawing them to him rather than the other way around. Yeah. Or unless it's I... supposed to be so it's like they can rule me out later so that the rest of our lives together we're in the clear. I don't. But that's stupid. <laughs> except his whole except, plan is to pay them back the whole time. Yeah. Well, and also he sets up the Rufus Sewell character to get caught and then tells him like, yeah, like they're going to have to let you go anyway. Cause you're not the guy. Like here's the proof that you're not the guy they're looking for. So it's not like that's going to get them off of his tail for more than like a half hour. Yeah, the the point of this entire ruse is completely mysterious. Like they've gone through a whole lot for like what he could have like I guess walked over to that like give like found Paul Bettany and handed him a check and then like gotten it over with, right? That's the other thing. It's just like this all this happens to be about like taxes owed or something. It's <laughs> really boring. I didn't know you owed taxes if you stole money from Russian gangsters. Like isn't the whole point <laughs> of a life of crime that you don't have to pay the taxes? You don't know that cuz nobody makes movies about that cuz it's fucking boring and useless. Like <laughs> And then you have the Stephen Burkoff character who plays the like the mobster who you keep waiting for him to like really go off the chain. Like I know he like chokes somebody to death at some point, but like, and it's not like I need this movie to be like bloodier to make it more interesting. I'm kind of glad actually that this was as bloodless as it was on an action scene sort of level. It's bloodless in other ways that I think is not good, but um, I don't know. It just feels like they were setting him up to be a lot more fearsome than what he ended up being. Nothing really feels followed through in this movie at all. Yeah. Well, it, it feels like they like shot it and then we're like, mm, let's cut this out. Like it's a long movie and you can imagine a much longer version that they, uh, that they cut to try to uh, get, you know, more screenings. 108 minutes though. I was expecting longer when I first started the movie. I will say I was too. I was, I That's was true. happy for small favors there. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I never, I can never really talking about the plot of this movie feels both exhausting and yet like a little unnecessary because i just don't it's so going to be fully out of my head by like tomorrow i watched it this morning and i won't remember it tomorrow i guarantee like it'll already already like key details have have floated away it's a dog chasing its own tail to describe like what this movie like what this movie does it's more like what the temperature of this movie is like it's vaguely like it feels vaguely fine to watch this movie but like you're never gonna be excited yeah you're gonna be like low grade confused the whole time (laughs) but not enough to be like incredibly (laughs) frustrated about it right like this is a movie that was like tailor-made to be released at christmas time and make some money but like not like offend anybody yeah. Like 
So, and then we'll get, so, like, then, yeah. Yeah. Then we arrive, though, at the reason that people remember this movie in any way, which is Golden Globe nominations come for the 2010 year, and it gets three Golden Globe nominations for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, which also, what? Like, I get that it's a light. <laughs> this movie is hilarious. It's so funny, you guys. I can't even tell you. Um, and then it gets nominations for not only Angelina Jolie, Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, but Johnny Depp, who had already been nominated in that category for his stupid, annoying performance in Alice in Wonderland. So, like, there was so much to get mad about in such a short period of time that I think... Everybody, and then of course, then Ricky Gervais goes and hosts the show that year and makes those jokes about the tourist paying off Golden Globe voters, which is like a joke people have made about Golden Globes voters for decades. Like it's not new. And all of a sudden, I think everybody gave Ricky Gervais a little too much credit for being so like edgy and dangerous, and everybody got so mad about that and whatever. And oh God, did we ever give Ricky Gervais too much credit in that period? He the the whole like bad boy of Hollywood telling the truth to power, like nobody's ready for it, and it's like sure it was so exhausting then. And but there was a whole, there was a little dust up at the time about like how how much glad handing went on with the producers and with the studio it was columbia pictures i believe right with yeah yeah um did to get it a golden globe nomination and it's like just the fact of it was sort of obvious enough like we know what the golden globe voters are like they like big stars and they like movies with big stars in them so that wasn't too surprising it was just like this movie that fully nobody cared about like aggressively didn't care about got these big nominations and had and had just opened. I'm looking like the Golden Globe nominations were announced on December 14th. The tourist opened December 10th. Yeah. Uh, to its incredibly underwhelming uh, domestic opening weekend. It, yeah. Well, it went on to make a ton of money overseas, which is a whole other story. The one thing I remember like from this period is I remember the junket for the tourist, which I did not go to, but they like flew all of the usual junketeers to Paris, and you often the Hollywood Foreign Press will be on those junkets as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's just so easy for me to imagine the people in the Hollywood Foreign Press being in Paris and looking at their Golden Globe Globes about to being like, mm, right. I don't have any other comedies. I like the tourists. Right. Why not? I'm in the hotel suite. Well, in the musical or comedy field that year, that was also like, I think it was, if it was just one thing, it would have been fine. But it was like several things piled on each other. One of it was Depp nominated twice in the category. The other of it was, the other nominees besides The Kids Are All Right, which won, which will end up being a Best Picture nominee. And is, I think, a really good movie. Also, maybe not quite a comedy, but I get that, like, it's structured like a comedy and it, like, whatever. I'm That's a comedy. I think it's, a, it's like a Shakespeare comedy. It's like, like a dramedy. Every, it's like, yeah. Everything turns out okay in the end. Yeah. Um, Alice in Wonderland, which I think is a piece of garbage and ugly to look at and just bad. Red, which Come we talked about. I was called upon to remember Red recently, and I just like couldn't. It would it slipped from my grasp. I couldn't remember it. Old people, old spies, essentially. I don't know. Helen Mirren's in it. Mary Louise Parker's in it. And you know, it takes a lot for me to not know anything about something that Mary Louise Parker. As in. I remember it, she's like sort of in it. I mean, she's basically she's Bruce Willis's girlfriend. It's such a thankless role. I don't understand. She's why. like the she's the not spy person who gets wrapped up in the spy yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. The Tourist, and then the one I will stick up for, the fact that Burlesque got a nomination (laughs) 
is so great. great. It's so great. Nobody else had the balls to do it. If they had nominated Cher for Best Actress, I would have fully forgiven it anything it ever did for the rest of its, you know, okay. whatever. I have to I have to say this out. Since you have mentioned all of the Best Comedy Musical Picture nominees, like, The Tourist is the one that gets all of the, like, Gold, Golden Globes hate, like, lacked on it. Like, yeah, remember when they nominated The Tourist? But it's like, all of these other things you just mentioned are, I would say, even worse. Like, they're going to nominate Alice in Wonderland for Best Picture. Like, that's some star fuckery right there. I mean, at least Alice in Wonderland is a hit. Like, you can kind of it see was them, like, wanting hit. to respond yeah. to, like, what people are wanting to see. Uh, Red is really mysterious. Um, yeah. Like, maybe even more so than The Taurus. I'm also looking at, like, what else they ignore. And, like, uh, Emma Stone got nominated for for Easy A. Like, yeah. that... They should have nominated Easy A. Easy A should have been nominated. That was the year that, like, Maiden Dagenham was sort of trying to get the... I think that was oh, really angling for... But that's not a movie that's that a anybody drama. remembers nowadays anyway. Um, but it was pushing for comedy, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Um, Please Give, which was Nicole Holofcener's movie that year, which I really liked, but, like, was... got I remember, pretty kind of mixed reviews. People were very much stumping for Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I was not a Scott Pilgrim guy at all. So like also like that like what less Golden Globe movie could there possibly be? Right. Right. It's crazy to me that um The Tourist and How Do You Know came out like probably within a week of each other. Oh my god. Um, like in, in terms of like expensive star driven vehicles that yeah. <laughs> cost way more than they should have. That I'm but uh, you know what? If the if How Do You Know had been nominated for everything that the Taurus was nominated for, I would have made a lot more sense to me. I don't know why, absolutely. but it would yeah. have. There's also I Love You Philip Morris, which there were people stumping for Jim Carrey. Yeah, I didn't care for that movie. You know what the the one that I would have nominated, and it's not super globesy, but the Drew Barrymore movie Going the Distance was that year. Oh yeah. With her and Justin Long that I think is so incredibly cute and underrated. And nominate that movie and Drew Barrymore's performance, and I would be a happy, happy person. My pick for that is Morning Glory with Richard yeah. McAdams and Harrison Ford. Oh. That movie is delightful. She's wonderful in it, and uh it should have gotten its way in there. See, we all know better. 2010 was a decent year, actually. I would go for something a little more basic, and I think the Globes, the Hollywood Foreign Press, did not get to see this before voting, but I would say True Grit. Mm. Oh, interesting. didn't get any Globe nominations, so I'm assuming they didn't even see it. That's interesting. As a comedy, Yeah, as a comedy. It's funny. It is funny. Yeah, it is funny. Yeah, good point. LaBeef. LaBeef. It's funny though, Katie. Like it, this, what like I remember twenty ten as being a very strong year, just in general. We talked on a previous one. I can't remember whether it was last week or the year, the week before about how strong the best actress field was that year, which is our int- secretariat episode. It was our secretariat yeah, episode. Yeah, I, w- right. I was just listening to it. It's very fresh in my mind. But I was going through the reviews for for the tourist, and Peter Travers jumped out at me because he super hated it, and oh. it's so funny to watch a Peter Travers pan. Because he's usually so effusive and positive and, like, is totally the guy you go for when you want to pull quote for a poster or whatever, right? And so when he hates something, it's almost, like, super funny the other way because he goes super over the top about it. And he starts off his review of The Tourist. In a year of craptaculars, The Tourist deserves burial at the bottom of the 2010 dung heap. 
2010 oh was a really good year. I don't understand it, Peter Travers. I mean, it also was the year of Alice in Wonderland, and like, I guess. Like, let me go cherry pick some garbage. Iron Man 2 is terrible. Sure. I'm sure Shrek Forever After is terrible. But like the Social Network, Black Swan, Inception, like, I you know. did not have to <laughs> yeah, dig very say far. This is a bad year. Right. You did not have to dig very far to find the best of 2010. He also said later on about. Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie, they look like a couple who took too many Ambien tabs on a jet trip to Venice, which is exactly how I felt. So now I feel weird that Peter Travers and I (laughs) are exactly on Um, the same wavelength. While we're talking about critic reviews, I have to say I was looking at the Wikipedia page and saw that it cited Stephanie Zaharik, who is a critic who I think we respect. She put it on her top 10. I tried to Uh, find it and I couldn't. I know. So the Movie Land archives are gone, but she wrote in the Slate Movie Club, if you Google her name in the Taurus, she talked about it as like kind of her favorite like number 11, which maybe it wasn't on her top 10, but what she said about it is it's, I see this striving for kind of glamour and luxury that we rarely see in mainstream or really any movie these days and then kind of compares it uh, negatively to Sex in the City 2 which I think is accurate like that movie is a horror show of luxury yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, I, I, I DM'd her on Twitter just to be like just out of curiosity and she said she stands by it and she thinks it's a whole lot better than his new one so there you go wonder see this is why we bring you on Katie you get the inside track I like that <laughs> I just use other people's expert information yes I pulled a quote from the Ebert review too because Ebert actually is e- is pro Jolie negative Depp. He says, Jolie plays her femme fatale with a flat-out drop-dead sexuality. Depp plays his Wisconsin math teacher as a man waiting for the school bell to ring so he can go bowling, which is such a burn! (laughs) That's very accurate. Oh, Roger Ebert, we miss you. (laughs) I know, I know. God. But yeah, I mean, this is the thing with the Golden Globes. I feel like, I think, to me, people are too hard on it in a way that like if we would all just sort of accept the golden globes for what they are i think we would all be and i think maybe we've gotten better at that i feel like i see fewer and fewer like the golden globes are corrupt why do people care about this oscar voters don't vote in the golden globes yada 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 all these reasons why we shouldn't care about the golden globes and i feel like we're coming to a place where we just appreciate this as you know it's a more star-studded version of the Oscars, or at least like more star-concentrated. Where like every category is an acting category at the Golden Globes, pretty much. This is why people are always trying to turn the Oscars into Golden Globes when they talk about trying to get the ratings up. Where it's just like, do we have to give awards to sound designers when we could give another acting category, maybe? And <laughs> or best popular movie. Well, right, exactly. Which is why I thought it was so strange. Not so strange. Like it would make sense, I guess, in that weird if you follow that line of thinking of more popular movies means more people following, but like what they really wanted, this was sort of what I almost brought up Katie when I was on your podcast and we were talking with Mike Hogan about that because he mentioned that like, well, if you nominate these popular movies, then you'll get like Robert Downey Jr. will show up in Scarlett Johansson. And I'm thinking like they do already show up. What you maybe want is best acting in a popular movie. Do you know what I mean? Because that <laughs> will bring all the boys to the yard. Like that will do what you want nominate chris pratt every year right exactly then people would be invested in like oh my god is chadwick boseman gonna win or is you know or another marvel superhero well that's what i mean like tom hardy and venom (laughs) chris still hasn't forgiven me for telling him that he that he wouldn't hate venom and then he saw venom and hated it oh no yeah we're in a fight (laughs) i haven't seen it because i think i'll hate it i thought i would hate it i didn't hate it that's my verdict on venom 
I thought I mean, Michelle Williams fun. is in it, which means I will probably see it eventually because I oh like, don't she's the closest she's I have to theoretically a in this. Yeah, movie. I was gonna say don't see it for Michelle Williams. That's the worst reason to see it. Oof, You'll be so disappointed. Right. Yeah, see it for Jenny Slate. I don't know. That's that's a decent reason. <laughs> that's a sure. better reason. I'm so with the. I, I just wanted to, to say in the defense of the Golden Globes also that like yeah. by just being another award show that's on TV is that we get a chance for them to give out awards that would just never happen otherwise. I think my favorite example is Colin Farrell winning for In Bruges. Yes. Like he, 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 mm-hmm. he has not been nominated for an Oscar. He won for In Bruges. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, and I kind of treasure the Globes for that. Like also looking at the 2010 year, Paul Giamatti won a Golden Globe for Barney's version, a movie that exists probably. Probably. Uh, we'll never know. So- but yeah. <laughs> So you take with the good with the bad, but there's there's something enjoyable about something just a little bonkers out there. I also think that those negative point of view, like the whole star fuckery thing or like picking the tourist is kind of a dated thing. Like we are now talking about an organization that is going to choose Sing Street or Spy over yeah. the tourist. Like yeah. it's it's not accurate or it's at least not current when people make these complaints about it. Did also, they really nominate Spy? Did I forget that somehow? Yes, they did. Oh my God, bless them. Also, I'm just going to read off to you the list of actresses who won Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy from the 90s. It's Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman, never won the Oscar, iconic performance. Bette Midler in For the Boys, which whatever, but it's Bette Midler. Miranda Richardson, Enchanted April. Angela Bassett for what, What's Love Got to Do With It, which all the time yes. I hear from people being like, Angel, Angela Bassett should have won the Oscar. And I'm like, but Holly Hunter in the piano. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, but Angela Bassett. Right. That's the thing. And this way we got both. Jamie Lee Curtis for True Lies. Awesome. awesome. Nicole Kidman for To Die For. Awesome. Madonna for Evita, not awesome, but interesting. You know what I mean? Like, at least, like, Madonna won a Golden Globe. That's so weird. For acting. And then it closed out the decade with, like, Helen Hunt and Gwyneth Paltrow, who won both the Globe and the Oscar. And then Janet McTeer for Tumbleweeds. Janet McTeer has a Golden Globe. It's so cool. I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm so for. I'm so for the Golden Globes. I'm so thankful I mean, thankful for I'm them. so excited to see Emily Blunt get to win a Golden Globe for Mary Poppins and Lady Gaga win a Golden Globe for Star is Born because they're competing in different categories. It's uh we get to spread the wealth. The Golden Globes love Emily Blunt like few others. Yeah. Like honest to God. Well, they I do. when I thought a Star is Born would compete as musical comedy, which I still think it's kind of crazy that it's not. I was I like, agree well, it's a shame you. Emily Blunt won't get her Golden Globe. What if Mary it, Poppins I've... is terrible, Katie? We're all assuming that everyone... they'll still give her. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's I I don't I mean I think Melissa McCarthy could still win. I mean if no, she goes true. in that category, I heard that that was going into drama though. Can't ever forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. Another bad call. Oh, there's so many bad calls. The fact that like everybody is assuming that Green Book is going to win the musical or comedy, and like I I've not seen the movie, but I've only seen the trailers, and I'm like I can I'm already mad that they're going to sell this as a comedy. Mm, is it like I've driving Miss Daisy? Like, oh, have you seen? You've seen it, Katie. Yeah, I well, I, I saw it here. How in mad am I going to be? Festival. The trailers make um, me so mad. The trailers. Make I me mean, so mad. there there are plenty of things to be mad about in Green Book. I'm not sure categorizing it as a comedy is like the most egregious part of it. Yeah. Uh, I also am the person who thought it was fine that The Martian competed as a comedy, so I might not be your rule stickler that you want here. I was also fine with that. I think sometimes. And, and with with some good reason, I think sometimes people who make mainstream broad comedies 
get frustrated and then they have these really really loud platforms that they can like they're all the ones who are like stand-up comics on twitter or anybody's in the comedy community they get super fucking pissed about that kind of thing because it's like and it is sort of shutting out their sort of corner of the sky from getting nominations and i get it but like a lot of these are borderline calls and i do get that i just think the green book as a rule is just gonna make me angry and i'm yeah I'm trying to think of what are the big comedies from this year that like we feel like Green Book might edge out. Like, so I was on Gold Derby earlier. Crazy Rich and I was Asians, sort of poking but they're going to get nominated. They'll probably they're probably going to get nominated. The ones I saw, the favorite is going to be an, a comedy nominee, and like that yeah. to me, that's the best one. Like that's I haven't that's, seen everything, but like, that's a good comedy nomination. Mary Poppins, Vice. They're saying Vice is going to go comedy, which okay, whatever. I did Big Short go comedy? Yes, it did. Yeah. There's Mamma Mia 2, which I don't I don't think is going to be what I people think it's that. going to be. But it's, you know, it's such a crowd pleaser, that movie, honest to God. <laughs> and then there's stuff like then there's stuff like 8th Grade, which I think is going to be, like, too small to get in, and that's too bad. People are throwing out, like, Death of Stalin, which seems very Golden Globesy if it had come out any later in the year than what it did. It came out so yeah. early this year. To your point about 8th Grade, I don't know. If they're still nominating movies like Sing Street... That's a good yeah. point. I don't think that eighth grade necessarily seems too small. Although Sing Street might have had like musical bonus points. I always feel like if there That's is true. anything resembling me, like the burlesque rules that if it, yeah. it resembles a musical, <laughs> they want to fit it in there. Yeah. That's a good point. Anything else we want to mention about the Golden Globes? I know, or even like I, I mentioned on our uh, on our little rundown, this movie opened number two with sort of a very soft 16 million behind the ultra-forgettable Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was the third of the Chronicles of Narnia Oof. movies. I am I find those movies strangely watchable, but also fully forgettable. I just don't ever remember anything that happens in them. I remember there's a mouse at some point. It's very cute. It's voiced by, I want to say, is Eddie Izzard. Yes. Jesus is prominently involved. Yeah, I don't know. Pro- yeah, the Taurus was like kind of a famous flop. Yeah. Uh, because it looks so expensive. I guess it cost $100 million, according to, to Box Office Mojo, so you know it costs more. Uh, and then it made $210 million foreign, so uh, that's crazy. I think that's the power of star power, though, in those yeah. foreign markets. Like, Oh, yeah, like Johnny get, Depp still yeah. sells those movies. Yeah. The tourists. Anything else before we go into IMDb game? I feel like we've really we've run the gamut on this, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is it is interesting as a like you know it's kind of more famous as a punchline than as the movie itself. But I am kind of glad that I saw it. Me too. For how crazy, also because like I don't see, I don't see as many bad movies as I used to because I don't see as many movies. So when I see things, I just try to see what's good. And just seeing something that's kind of like this dog's breakfast of a studio thing cobbled together, I was like, oh yeah, that's what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they have gone out of style or are difficult to find. Here's what's interesting is in the past 15 years, John Seal, the cinematographer of the for The Tourist and other things, has only done cinematography for six movies. One of them being Mad Max Fury Road, which I think is easily like the best of this late year run for him. <laughs> but he also did like Cold Mountain, which is a very, you know, handsome movie if, you know, it has its own faults or whatever. But then the other movies that are on his filmography are Spanglish, The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, Poseidon, and The Tourist. What? Like, this is a fantastic cinematographer. He's an Oscar winner for... Mad the, Max? No, for The English Patient. 
But he did like Witness. He was an Oscar nomination for Witness, for Rain Man, talented Mr. Ripley. Like this guy has the goods. And it's so crazy to me that like the the look of the tourist is so blah. Yeah. It's so funny that he did Spanglish, like, because James L. Brooks, like, famously just, like, overspends yeah. on, the, like, how do you know also, like, is, like, beautifully shot yeah. for no reason. Yeah. I also resent, like, him getting this Venetian vacation right before making Mad Max in the desert for six years or whatever. <laughs> like, you go, John Steele. You deserve that. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. All right. Do we want to do the IMDb game? Katie. I'm so excited. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Game. It's yeah. been forever since we got to play the IMDb game. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, so you were around when this sort of was in its very early days, when this was just sort of a thing we did at the bar. Yeah, like literally standing in bars with your phones out. Yeah, so we would just get, we would form these, like, weird, odd little, like, circles of film nerds, each, like, giving each other um, challenges for the IMDb game. Uh- I remember giving Matt Patch's Powers Booth and regretting it so much, because it was so hard. I felt really bad. The one time I brought my little sister out, she was in for vacation, and she is not a movie nerd like the rest of us, so she was just sort of like a spectator at this. But somebody was trying to get Michael Fassbender, and nobody could get it, and it, one of them, because this was an early enough point in his career, and one of them was Fish Tank, and she was the one who got Fish Tank. And I was like, how do you know of all things, how do you know Fish Tank? And she's like, it's on Netflix. What can I tell you? So that was You never fun. know. IDB game is full of surprises. Yeah. So how this game works is we challenge each other. We pick an actor, and we challenge each other to guess the four movies that are listed on the IMDb page under the known four designation, the four movies that this actor is supposedly best known for it's always very funny to see what the imdb algorithm comes up with because it is capricious and mean i will say if any of these four roles are a voiceover or television work we call that out out front so it's easier to guess after two wrong guesses the person gets a clue in the form of the year or years of the movie or movies that they have missed so with three of us I am going to, I will challenge Katie. Katie, you challenge Chris, and Chris, you challenge me. That sound good? Yeah. I'm very excited for whatever powers booth I'm going to be getting. <laughs> oh, Katie, I'll give you I the choice. I learned my lesson. Do you want to kick, us, kick it off with guessing or giving? I want to I want to give clues because I'm nervous about guessing on the air because you guys I, I'm recognizing like the effort you guys make to not have dead air and I don't think I'm going to be good at it so let me let me start I think you'll be good at it okay so you give to Chris okay okay Chris so I went right. really basic with my thought process uh, Paul Bettany is in this movie The Tourist he's married to Jennifer Connelly how about Jennifer Connelly um okay um not a Powers Booth I promise a beautiful mind yes. Requiem for a Dream. Yes, two. He's just not that into you? No, I wished. <laughs> okay. Um, Her last decade has been crazy. Wild. Also, no way it's on here because it's too new, but she was the voice of Inside Spider-Man suit now. So she is also in the Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> right. so annoying in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Spending that whole movie like, who is this yes. woman in his voice wow. that I know? I know who it is, and it's yep. gonna bother me. I immediately looked it up: Jennifer Connelly. I mean, it, setting up as a voice made Paul Bettany so much money that that was that was a good move on her part. 
Who's um, the voice in um in Iron Man suit when it goes Irish? Um, is it Carrie Condon? I want to say it's one of those like random sort of UK actresses. I don't know. I'll look it up. Wow. All right. Um, okay, okay, you got so you got two right. You got one wrong. The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. All right, that's three. Oh, that's an, okay. Okay. Dang. Yeah. I am one of like three people that remember that she was in the Rocketeer. Um, oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh Labyrinth. No, I, I I would have assumed Labyrinth too. Okay, so yeah. now you've got two wrong. So I'll give you a year. Year's two thousand three. Oh, it's House of Sand and Fog. It's House of Sand and wow. Fog. Well done. I definitely forgot entirely about that movie when I looked up her IMDb page. I was Yikes. a weird defender of that movie at that time. I don't remember it. I, mean, I, oh, I actually don't think I've ever seen it. For whatever reason, I always contextualize that movie with Finding Nemo, <laughs> which is how I knew it was 2003. <laughs> they have so much in common. I remember them like playing at the same second-run theater because Finding Nemo was in theaters for forever, and I don't know why. I contextualize wow. those two very dissimilar films okay so um i am challenging joseph joseph i also went super basic i am real i am going back to the oscar year i would like you to consider one of that year's oscar winners once chris, again you will be considering melissa leo chris we did it again no <laughs> we did it again we picked the same one again can we save this so that you can quiz katie on this because i oh yeah okay yeah because yeah. katie's not looking at it so okay yeah no, so I'm just not. pick a new one for me okay good we'll stick all right so katie you'll now other... have a little bit more time to think i so know i really need it too okay. um yeah so you will get the added boost for your round i also have prepared for you the co-star of the nominated Alice in Wonderland, not just the co-star, she's the title role, the titular role. The titular Alice, role. Mia Vasakowska. <laughs> Mia Vasakowska. Uh, how did Meryl pronounce it? Uh, Va- that... I think it was Vas. Vos- I think she gave up at one point. She did. Didn't she just like give up after the fourth syllable. It's my favorite thing about that is that nobody remembers that she called Tilda Swinton Gilda because she totally made such hash of Adapero Duye and and Mia Vasakowska. Okay, Mia Vasakowska. Um. Well, Alice in Wonderland has to be one of them. Alice in Wonderland is one of them. And there's no television. No television. So no in treatment. No in treatment, indeed. Okay. Um, is it Kids Are All Right? Is that one of them? No. Okay. Hmm. All right. See, this was during that time period where, like, it was, like, Mia Vasakowska and Saoirse Ronan, and I was such Team Saoirse. And... I feel like now you feel bad. Well, sort of, except like now it's just like not a competition anymore. So now it's like I can't like there's no we there's no rooting interest in this anymore. Um oh, what was that one? Is it Tracks? No. Is that that well, movie? Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about though? I do know what you're talking about. It, and I not think yet. I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's no, not going to show up on one of hers. Okay, um, give me okay, years. Okay, so you got two wrongs. You have, I will be giving you years. Two of them are 2013 and one is 2015. 
2013 and one is 2015. Okay. What was going on in her career in 2013? Um, I do. I would say these are all because like, I mean, she was probably in both of those years in like six movies. So I will say these are all roughly the same genre or adjacent to the same genre. Okay. Um, Now what? Now to ask what genre it was, um, or to wonder what genre it was. Uh, okay. I'm now trying to think of it too, just so so you know you're not alone. Oh well, she so she was in. Sorry, I'm going down all these like halfway roads, and I'm like, nope, that's not her too. Because she wasn't in. She they stopped trying to give her like anything sort of mainstreamy, and she became just like the weird girl. And now I can't remember what. I will say one of these is a mainstream film released by a major studio. The other two okay. were released by independent studios or indies. Give me the years one more time. 2013, two movies in that year, and 2015. So not Jane Eyre. Not Jane Eyre. Um, you have uh, defended one of these movies on this podcast as saying you really like it, and I like it too. Oh. Oh. You probably wouldn't oh. remember her being in this movie. No, right? Um, no, it's she's on the tip of my tongue. Build and like that's maybe a stretch. She's a vampire. She, oh, uh, only lovers left alive. Yes, only lovers left alive. That's the twenty wow. the two thousand thirteen. That's the one of the twenty thirteens. Oh, and Stoker was that same year. Stoker, yes. Okay. So you're looking for the 2015 movie. At this point, you can deduce that you are looking at a horror movie. Right. Yeah, it was weird girl stuff. Okay. Um, I will also say this is the studio movie. This is the studio movie. Oh, I love this movie. It's um, uh, not House on Haunted. It's uh, Crimson Peak. Yes, Crimson Peak. Wow. Crimson Peak. Yeah. Okay. That took a lot of doing. <laughs> I'm amazed that I it can't wasn't believe Jane I didn't Eyre. think of Stoker immediately. I love Stoker. Same here, right? Exactly. I, I can't believe I thought of Tracks before I thought of any of those other three movies. <laughs> I was That's very I was impressed like, by no, Tracks. Not Tracks. <laughs> like nobody knows that. Movie. Nobody knows Tracks. Okay. All right. So, uh, Katie, as you may have heard, oh boy, I have chosen Melissa Leo for you because she was the supporting actress winner in that 2010 Golden Globes and then Oscars. And you're telling me her self-funded consideration ads are not, are not eligible are on not. the IMDb game? No. <laughs> oh, that is her most famous work. Okay, so the fighter has to be one of them. Yes, correct. Uh, is Frozen River one of them? No. Her other Whoa, Oscar nomination. No. No, God. All right. I really, this is going to go poorly for me. Uh, she's in Prisoners, right? She's yes. She's Paul Dano's mom in Prisoners. Is, it, is one of them Prisoners? No. She's the villain of Prisoners. She's the villain of Prisoners. Yeah, spoiler. All right, so no. So that's two wrong answers. So now you're going to get Crap. years. Oh my god, okay. 2013, 2010, and then 2003. Holy cow, the same tw- so 2010 is the same year as The Fighter. Yes. This one never came out like the year before. This one had Oscar buzz but did not capitalize on it. I think its star may have gotten a either a Golden Globe or a SAG nomination, but I'm not positive. SAG was it sag okay it was sag this is a very like hollywood film awards movie and you would probably also not remember melissa leo 
being in it. Well, this is the problem like, with Melissa Leo. Yes. yes. This is the problem with Melissa Leo. Oh, here's the, here's the thing. It I'm going to give you extra hints because I like though. you. Yeah, I need some extra yeah. hints because I don't have anything good for any of these answers. So one of the 2010 Best Actress nominees. Okay. Um, famously has lost multiple Oscar nominations to the same person. Okay, okay. We're talking about Annette Benning. Right. So who did she lose to? Oh, oh, is, is Melissa Leo in Conviction? Yes. <laughs> I only sure. pulled that because I listened to your secretary episode <laughs> and you talked about Hillary Swank. Conviction is a movie we have to do at some point when we are further away from doing 2010 movies yes. because we bring it up a lot. On <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is, it is crazy that Conviction in Conviction, both of the stars eventually did win Oscars. Do we know uh, even remember who Melissa Leo played in that movie? I think I she played Maybe a, a lawyer? Okay. Who, she oh, has glasses in that movie. She has glasses in, in, in some movies. Um, all yeah. right. One of okay. these two. The, so 2013 and t- 2003. The 2003 okay. was basically like her breakthrough. Like, oh, the only thing people knew her from before that was she was on Homicide Life on the Street. But this sure. was like, oh, like this was this was kind of an acclaimed supporting performance that was sort of talked up in the early stages of the season and then never really showed up later on. But it might have even won a Critics Prize or two. Did the movie perform? Yes and like no. Oscar wise. Yes and okay. no. It got some nominations, but I think it was expected to do even bigger. It had oh, two boy. acting nominations, including the man that played her husband. Yes. She's not in the House of Sand and Fog, is she? No, but this think of back in two thousand three. There was an EW cover at the time where it was Jennifer Connelly from House of Sand and Fog, the lead actress from this movie, and. Oh. Chris, do you remember what I'm talking about? Who the third one was? Where it was like Oscar season 2003. And it was like fully like. Oh. It was oh my God. like flop. It was like all three of them were kind of flops, I feel like. Oh, is it cold? No, it's not Cold Mountain. No. It's a real fucking bummer of a movie. <laughs> so is House of Sand and Fox. Yeah, this movie sucks. <laughs> oh, God. I don't think I know. But it's like, director, I... it's directed by a future. Oscar winner, a future double Oscar winner, two-time Oscar winner, uh, and honorary winner. Oh, uh, all right. Give me the lead actress. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm there. Naomi Watts. Oh, it's uh, Twenty-One Grams. It's Twenty-One Grams. Yes. She. I did not know Melissa Leo was in that. I've never seen it. So your 2013 movie. I don't know if it's a movie that you've seen. She plays a person who I think is also a computer simulation <laughs> or like a she's like a computer program and she's like the face of it i'm gonna look up she, oh okay she's yeah. one she's of like my a favorite human face she's like a, she's like a, it's melissa leo it's not just her voice it's her face but okay. she's like on she's like she shows up on like a, a monitor when it's time to give instructions but she oh. might not be a person. She's one of my favorite oh. parts of this movie, if not my very favorite part of this movie. This is really ringing a bell, and I can't. This was a out. a flop for this movie's lead actor. Okay. Um, I love this film's original score and also its title song and Melissa Leo in it. Those are the things that I love about this movie. It's not a I love a different support. No, but you're on the exact right track, Katie. Oh. It's not District Nine. Is, are you talking? Is it a Neil Blomkamp movie that I've forgotten about between nope, the two things? Nope, not that right no. track. But you're. But like we're we're talking about like space, yes. sort of, or sci-fi. like sci-fi, yeah, future, single word title. 
not Prometheus. Nope. Everything's silver. Everything is very <laughs> silver. Fully uh, true. Oh, Morgan Freeman shows up at some point. Oh, come on. That doesn't help. <laughs> well, neither will the fact that I'll say Andrea Riseborough is in it. Like, that will also not Oh, know. oh, shit. It's, um, is it Oblivion? Yes. yes. Is that the one? Yeah. Melissa Leo and is Olga so Korolenko. fucking campy in Oblivion. I can't even. I don't remember it. her. She's Sally. She's Andrea every time like Tom Cruise is like, Sally, what's our instructions? And she'll be yeah. like, you are an effective that team. Re- that was the whole thing about like, you are now not, you are no longer an effective team. She would yeah. have like an accent. Yeah. What a good idea. Like what of a movie that made a lot of bad choices, like having mm. Melissa Leo's actual face as a robot is such a good idea. Yeah. There's an M83 uh, title song to that movie. That is a bop is what I will say. It is a jam. I truly love Man. it. Man. This has been a really good episode for movies from the earlier part of this decade that I totally forgot. Existed. Yes, exactly. Oh, we're so on theme. Katie, <laughs> I cannot tell you how wonderful it's been to have you on Oh, this I am so, I'm coming back so soon. You are <laughs> absolutely going to be with me for so long soon. at all. Happily That's happy. exactly what we want to hear. Yay. Uh, Chris, any last thoughts? Um, consider Melissa Leo. <laughs> Always. Always. That is our episode. If you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can go check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? I am on Twitter at Chris V file. That's F E I L also on letterboxd under the same username. Please go there and find our letterbox list that gives you um, stats on the IMDB game and links you directly to each of our episodes. You can also catch me at the film experience, writing about soundtracks, Oscars, and lots of other stuff. Wonderful. And Katie, where should the listeners go for more from you? I'm an editor at VanityFair.com, so you won't see my writing much, but you can hear me talking on the Little Gold Men podcast, uh, which is via podcast you can find on iTunes, as well as Fighting in the War Room. And you can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd, at, uh, also at Joe Reed. I am making an effort to catch up on everything that I've seen this year. So, like, find me on Letterboxd. I'm really I'm, – I'm making an effort. It's a lot of movies to – add to my little diary there but i'm, I'm doing it uh, we would also like to thank kyle cummings for his fantastic artwork and dave gonzalez and gavin mevius for their technical guidance please remember to rate and review us on itunes google play stitcher or wherever else you get podcasts a five-star review in particular really helps us out with itunes visibility so if you like us don't be a listless angelina jolie about it make yourself heard that is all for this week but we hope you will be back next week for more buzz yeah,